<laughs> it's so fun waiting to hear people out here, women going, oh, if that mouse was in your house, you would be going, yes. Okay, now don't be lying about that. And there was no mice that were being harmed in that commercial, okay? Listen, today is a big deal. It's my boss's resurrection day. It's not every day someone comes back to life after being dead and buried for three days. And we are so glad that you are here to celebrate exactly what Jesus did with us. No matter what your church background is, whether you have come from a Methodist or Lutheran or Baptist or, or Catholic, or no affiliation whatsoever, you've got checking out who Jesus is, I want to tell you today that you are not alone here. Others are right there with you here. Listen, we, we don't really go by titles here. We're not much into that kind of stuff. We don't care what you call us. We just want to be identified with Jesus. And so here's the question. How do you respond? How do you answer the question, who is Jesus. Jesus is what to you? And that's a big deal. We've been engaging this conversation all month long, and maybe you've noticed we've been asking the question, who do you say Jesus is? Maybe you saw it on billboards around town. Maybe you have seen it uh, on Facebook as people are, are posting their pictures with their sign that says, Jesus is this. And we have just a few samples of the literally hundreds of pictures that have come in of how people say Jesus is this to me. And today we're going to talk about Jesus is the bridge. And this is a big deal of how you answer this question. Because not only does it define who you are, but it also determines your eternal destination. So today we're talking about Jesus is the bridge. And we built a bridge on stage to help you understand as clearly and as plainly as we can the great news that is the resurrection. And maybe when you, uh, has anybody ever suffered from what's called jephyrophobia? If If you're honest about it, anybody suffer from the fear of bridges? This is not going to help you much. Because I read this on Monday, that there are over 60,000 bridges in the U.S. alone that are what they call structurally deficient. So think about that the next time you cross over the Y bridge or any other bridge. And probably the first thing you noticed when you came in today is this bridge on stage, that there's something not right about it. That it's not together, that there's a big gap in between. That it's not just structurally deficient, it's just flat out impassable. And this broken down bridge represents our relationship with God as it stands right now. That there is an obvious separation with God on this side and all of us over here on this side. The Bible calls it the great chasm. It says a great chasm has been set in place so that those who want to go from here to there cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. But this is not the way it was supposed to be. That in the beginning, that God created everything, the world. He created this perfect environment where where we could live with him, where Adam and Eve were with God in the garden, when there was no disease, no death, no pain, no sadness. It was a perfect paradise. But because of their sin, it destroyed the paradise. 
that now there is an obvious separation between them and us and God. And now we can't be around a perfect and holy God because we are not. Their sin has separated us. And we are all over here together. There's a verse in the Bible, says Romans 3.23, that's kind of the great equalizer of Scripture. It says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And And then it follows up that verse with another verse from Romans that says that the wages of sin is death. Now, a wage is something that you earn, right? You deserve it. And you go to work, and you put your hours in, you do what you said you will do, and all of a sudden, in your bank account, will get this direct deposit because your boss is saying, you know, you deserve this money. You did what you said you will do. We earned it. Well, in this transaction, because we have all sinned, what we deserve is death. So now we are stuck on this side of the bridge where there is pain and suffering. And it doesn't take a sociologist to see that there's a lot of pain and suffering in our world today, right? And, and I get that question a lot. You know, if, if, if God is so good, if God is loving, then why does he allow for there to be suffering and pain in this world. And I just want to point back to the bridge and say, who caused this separation? Did God cause it? We did. Our sin is what separated us from God. God is the one who created that perfect environment and wanted us to live with him forever there. We're we're the ones who decided to go our own way. We're the ones who put ourselves in the place of God and chose sin. The Bible says it great to the prophet Isaiah. It says, your sin has cut you off from God. So now, we are over on the death side of the bridge... Where there, is, where there is pain and suffering, not because God moved, but because we moved. That we have become enemies of God because of our sin. That we are now subject to his perfect justice, that what we've earned, what we rightly deserve is his wrath. That's the consequence of our sin. And now we've got a problem. Because the only way back to the bridge is if we were perfect. And I don't know about you. Actually, I do. None of us are. Right? And so what we are stuck with over here on this side of the bridge, what do we do? We love to rank everything. Right? We love to rank where we are on this side of the bridge. And way down here, we put the worst of the worst kind of people, right? The guys who were the suicide bombers in Brussels. We put them way down here, right? We put ISIS down here and Hitler down here and murderers and rapists. And they're all down here at the bottom of the bridge. But way up here, we put the best of the best. We put Mother Teresa or Billy Graham or maybe the Pope Or Gandhi, your grandmother who's never missed a day of church in her life. Me. You're laughing way too hard at that. And where where would you where would you rank yourself? 
And where would I really rank myself if we're playing this game? I think most of us, like all of us, would probably put ourselves somewhere around here that we would give ourselves a C, C minus, C plus, and we would definitely say, well, we're not those people down there. But we're definitely not those people up here either. Can I ask you a question? Does it really matter? Because when all is said and done, we have this uncrossable chasm that none of us can get across on our own. And a lot of us, we've bought into this lie that what helps improve our standing with God is this thing called religion. That if we, if we just keep the Ten Commandments well enough, if we go to church enough, if we give enough money to the church, if we don't cheat on our taxes and don't cheat on our spouses, then we inch our way up higher and higher on this bridge. Not because we think we can get all the way across by our own, but because maybe if we get high enough, God will notice us more than all the others. And it's our goal to help have more people down below us than there are above us. Because we hope when Jesus comes back or when we die and we're faced with a judgment that God is going to grade us on some kind of cosmic curve like our English teacher did back in high school. And he's going to draw the line here, hopefully, and that he'll say, everybody on this side of the bridge, you can come with me. I've got a place prepared for you, but everybody down here, sorry about your luck. That's religion. And the more I know about religion, and I've grown up in the church. I've read the Bible many, many times. I've been to Bible college. I've been in ministry for 20 years. The more I find myself inching up this way, the better view that I have of how deep and how wide that chasm really is and that there is nothing that I can do to cross it. So religion just isn't going to cut it. But what can? And if the qualifier for us to get to the other side of the bridge is perfection, then I guess what we need is someone who can make us perfect. The Apostle Paul writes this in 2 Corinthians, says, God made him. Who's him? Jesus. That God made Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us. So that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. That we might become perfect. And listen, a lot of this has been bad, bad news so far because we're all stuck on this side of the bridge. But here's where things get really, really good. Because there was nothing that we could do to improve our hopeless situation over this side of the bridge. There was something that God could do to help us find our way back to him. And the Apostle Paul goes on in Romans chapter 5 and says, But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. That while there was nothing that we could do to clean up ourselves, there was nothing that we could do to better our situation. It was because of Jesus, because he was the only one without sin. He became sin for us. That he took all of your sin, all of it, and all of my sin, and he carried it in his body 
And he took our punishment of death on the cross. And God the Father put all of his justice and all of his wrath on his one and only Son in our place. And that is love. Because I love all of you who are here today, even if you're the first time here, I love you. But, and I might give my life for some of you. But there's not a one of you that I would trade the life of one of my sons for. And I think that's why when Jesus was on the cross, the Bible says from noon to 3 p.m., God sent this strange darkness in the middle of the day that came on the land as if God the Father was saying, I can't watch this any longer. Paul writes, continues on Romans 5, he says, And since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son, while we were still his enemies, we will certainly be saved the life of his son. So now, We can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends of God. So here is the good news. As plain and simple as I can make it, this is why Jesus is the bridge and why how you answer that statement, Jesus is, it defines who you are. And why you have to answer that question, who do you say Jesus is? I want you to watch this young lady's story. This is Maddie. I want you to watch this video. Up until this past summer, my life was filled with overwhelming doubt. I knew who God is, but I didn't have a relationship with Him. I didn't go to church, I didn't know what it meant to be a Christian, and I was and still am surrounded with many friends and some family members who don't know God, don't want to know Him, and some who just don't like Him. I was living a lost life, but more than anything, I was living an empty one. So yeah, I was filled with doubt. It's sort of a paradox. On one hand, doubt adds never-ending weight to your shoulders, but on the other, it continuously chips away at you. So there was this hole growing within me. I tried to fill that hole with temporary things to no avail. And let me tell you something, life is so much harder than it needs to be without Jesus. But luckily, this story has a happy ending. I got baptized early February of this year. There were a couple big moments in my journey to finding Jesus, but the first one was being invited to the NT youth group over the summer by Emily Allen. During CIY, the NT students had made paper hats for people they were thinking of at the time. Emily had invited me so that I could be presented with my hat. It wasn't an ordinary newspaper hat though. The students had also wrote some words that they felt Jesus was trying to tell me. On mine was the word faith. Jesus was calling me to find my faith. So I made a commitment to going to youth group. One night at youth group, Stephen and Zach had a big night planned for us. We all did communion together, forgave someone, and we each got to nail something to a cross that they had built. I had nailed capital D doubt on the cross, 
and then I made a commitment to Sunday mornings. And I took my mom with me. Now I know what it means to be a Christian, and I'm proud to be one. That's why I finally made the decision to be baptized. Because now I can tell people who are having doubt that Jesus is the only person who can fill that hole and relinquish that doubt. My life is no longer empty, and I'm no longer weighed down by doubt. My name is Maddie Myers, and to me, Jesus is the missing piece. Maddie says Jesus is her missing piece, and I think that's a great way to describe it. Jesus is that missing piece of that bridge that helps us find our way back, which is that's why it's so important how you define, or what, how you say, how you finish that statement, who do you say Jesus is? Because he not only defines who you are, but he also determines your destination, your eternal destination. I want you to read, read this, this text here with me. John 3 says this, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. But whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on them. So are you saying, well, Matt, are you saying that all I have to do to cross from that side of the bridge to this side of the bridge is to put my belief in Jesus? That's all? Yes, that's what we're saying. But listen, your belief should motivate you to take action. If there was a fire that was raging through this church building right now, and we didn't know it, you didn't know, it, you're sitting here, and it's, the fire is actually consuming all of that part of the building. And I come out here on stage and say, listen, everybody, orderly, we need to get out. This is the only safe door to go out. We all need to go. You might believe what I'm saying, but unless you get up and get out that door, it's not going to help. You can sit there in your belief kind of saying, this is fine. It's not going to help. But when you understand how dire your situation is on this side of the bridge and you realize that you are currently separated from God and headed for a Christless eternity in hell and you put your faith in Jesus and it's the bridge back to God, may that matter make you motivate you to take action and repent of your sins and confess Jesus as your Lord and rescuer and bridge of your life and, and live a life of obedience which starts in the waters of baptism. The Bible says that faith without action is dead. It's not enough to say, Jesus, thanks for being our bridge, but I'm still going to live the way that I want to live. Because Jesus didn't just come to die on a cross for us, to to save us from our sins. He also came so that he could show us the best way to live. Let me take the Ten Commandments, for example. You got don't lie, don't steal, don't murder, don't commit adultery. Let me ask you, if you do those things, does it really help improve your way of life? Or do those things actually wreck your relationships with others and wreck your life? The reason why God gives us commands and rules isn't so that one day we appear before him and he goes, let's see how well you did at keeping my rules to see if you get to go into heaven. We've already covered that. None of us make that grade. The reason why God the Father gives us commands and rules is to show us this is the better way to live. It's the same reason why I give my sons rules and commands at our house. Guys, if you're riding your bike, you wear your helmet. 
If you're crossing that road, you look both ways before you cross. If you're running around the house with scissors, stop it, right? I I love you. I want you to have the best life possible. And God says to us, his children, this is the best way to live. And Jesus displayed that for us as he lived his life. So now we have a bridge. And Jesus is that bridge to help us find our way back to God. And these are the words of Jesus from John chapter 5. I love this. This is one of my favorites. I tell you the truth, Jesus says. Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me. Watch this word. You can write this in your notes. What's the word? Has eternal life and will not be condemned. He, she has crossed over from death to life. So English majors, that word there, has, that, I've, that I wanted you to say. What tense is that word? Huh? Present. It's, pre- it's present tense. It's now. It doesn't say, Jesus doesn't say, whoever hears my word, believes in him who sent me, will have eternal life. It says he or she has it. Now. And I think a lot of church people get that one wrong. They think that once you put your belief in Jesus, that the cross really doesn't matter until you die. Because that's when you cross over and experience eternal life. That's not what the Bible teaches. Jesus says, if you believe, as soon as you believe in me, as soon as you believe in me, you get eternal life Now, you get to cross the bridge now, and you get to live the rest of your life and life in heaven on this side of the bridge. Now. Last week in discovery class, and discovery class, you heard about it on the announcements earlier, and I really would, if you're kind of just checking out who Jesus is, kind of new to to church, I would highly recommend coming to Discovery class April 17th, a Sunday night, 5 to 7. We give you food. We take your kids, child care, because we want you to focus and get your questions answered. I help teach it along with Chris Steele, our Connections pastor, and we just want you to know about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And so our next one's coming up. But next, uh, this past Sunday, we had our Discovery class, and there was a guy there by the name of Bill. And Bill asked a question that I had never heard before asked in discovery class. He said, Matt, I've been to other churches, and I've noticed that in other churches, they have Jesus on the cross. But when I came to North Terrace, I didn't see Jesus on the cross anywhere. Why don't you guys have Jesus on the cross? I said, Bill, that's a great question, and here's the answer. Because Jesus isn't on the cross anymore. (laughs) His work, yes, on on the cross is done. That he said on the cross, it is is finished. That our sin debt was paid on the cross. Our death penalty that was rightfully earned by us, that was paid on the cross. And listen, Jesus didn't have to rise from the dead to save us from our sins. That's what the cross accomplished. So why did he, why did he rise from the dead? What did that accomplish? What does that mean for you and for me? It means Jesus rose from the dead to to show us that we could experience new life now. That we don't have to wait till we're dead to experience new life, but that we get to cross the bridge now and live on this side of the bridge now. And listen, if you check out 
the people who were there at the resurrection or people who saw the risen Jesus later, look how it changed their life as they moved from that side of the bridge to this side of the bridge and the change in their life. Mary Magdalene, she was there, she came to the tomb and she was mourning and weeping. But when she met the risen Lord, she was full of joy, the Bible says, and she went running from the tomb to tell everyone about it. Peter, Peter met the risen Jesus. And before Jesus died, Peter was this brash and cocky individual as long as Jesus was there by his side. I mean, I love this. As soon as Jesus was arrested, Peter starts denying, I, don't, I, don't, I didn't know who him. Uh, who, 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 Jesus, who? When Jesus is killed, Peter goes into hiding because he thinks he's the next one to die. But then Jesus rises from the dead. He appears to Peter. And how does that, Peter sees that my Jesus can raise from the dead. What do I have to fear? He begins to live on this side of the bridge because Jesus now lives in him and it changes everything. He becomes bold for real and telling everybody about Jesus. Even the people who were responsible for putting Jesus on the cross in the first place and yelling, crucify him, crucify him. Peter's preaching to them about who Jesus was and that they need to repent and come back to God and cross the bridge. Even when he was crucified upside down, Peter's still telling others, about Jesus. How about James? To me, James is the best piece of evidence that proves the resurrection because James was the half-brother of Jesus. And I got to ask you, what would it take for you to believe that your brother is the son of God? What would it take? Because I have a brother and I know he's not the son of God. And if Chip ever got this illusion of grandeur that, hey, I am the son of God, and told me, hey, Matt, I am the son of God, I would say, Chip, no, you're not. And here's, I want you to remember something, Chip. Back when you graduated from high school, do you remember when mom and dad told me that I could have your bedroom? And I was this eight-year-old little guy at the time who looked up to his brother, idolized him, and I was so excited, I was going to get your room. And your last day, before you went off to college, you took me to your room. And you said, little bro, I want you to know something about this bedroom. You see that closet in the corner? A dead Indian lives in that closet. <laughs> and during the day, he doesn't come out. But during the night, while you're sleeping, he likes to come out. And he and I were buddies. And he told me last night, He's not so sure about you. <laughs> I didn't sleep for weeks in that room, all right? And so, Chip, I know you're not the son of God. I know. And James and his half-brothers half of Jesus, they didn't believe that Jesus was the son of God at first. They thought he was crazy. Until the risen Jesus appeared to James. And James started living on this side of the, the bridge because he put his belief in Jesus, his half-brother, and became the leader of the early church. How about Paul? Before Paul met the risen Lord, he, he went by the name of Saul, and he was basically the equivalent of what we see ISIS to be in the news. 
He was this radicalized religious leader who was focused upon, on eradicating Christians from the face of the earth. He wanted it stopped. But he had a close encounter with the risen Lord on a road one day, and it changed everything. And he became relentless about telling others about the great love of Jesus and that he was the bridge. And he began planting Jesus-loving and Bible-teaching churches all over the map and wrote half the New Testament, in which he wrote these words. He says, Christ died for our sins. Just as the scripture said, he was buried, he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scripture said, he was seen by Peter, by the twelve, and after that he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. So if you don't believe my words, Paul says, go down the street and ask so-and-so and so-and-so. They were there, they saw it, they can justify this, testify to it. And he says, then he was seen by James, the half-brother, and later by all the apostles. Paul writes down, there were over 500 eyewitnesses to to the risen Jesus, and it changed everything for them. And I want to tell all of you, North Terrace, that when you are in Christ, you have the same power that raised Christ from the dead living in you. And you can live on this side of the bridge. Experience new life in Jesus. That's the great news of the resurrection. Now, the Roman authorities, the religious leaders of the Jewish nation, they, the last thing that they wanted was for the rumors that Jesus was, had raised, risen from the dead. They didn't want that to happen. They, they took every precaution that they could to see that that wouldn't happen because they knew, they had heard that the disciples might come in the middle of the night and try to steal the body and then try to pull off a hoax. Hey, the body's gone. Jesus rose from the dead. The Messiah is real. So they took every precaution that they could. They put these green beret Roman soldiers there to guard the the tomb. They put a big stone there in front of it. It would take several men to move. And they put the emperor's seal on that stone so that if you caught tampering with it or broke that seal, it was punishable by death. It's the last thing they wanted to do. All they would have had to do when the rumors were circulating like wildfire was to bring out a body and say, here's Jesus. He's still dead. And it would have squashed that movement in no time, but they couldn't because the body was gone. And the women, they came to the tomb that morning and they were weeping and they were mourning because Jesus was their only hope. And now their hope was gone. And they saw an angel come from heaven who, it says, went to the tomb, rolled the stone away from the entrance. He sat on the stone. He was shining bright as lightning and his clothes were white as snow. And the soldiers guarding the tomb shook with fear because of the angel. And they became like dead men. Here's a question for you. Who did the angel move the stone for? Growing up in church, I I, I just always assumed it was for Jesus to let Jesus out. But then I, I realized how, how really dumb that is. That Jesus would have the power to rise from the dead, but then go, I didn't think this through. Um, can somebody help me out in here? You know? Matter of fact, if you dig into scripture, you realize that Jesus is already out of the tomb. So I ask you again, who 
for whom did the angel move the stone? Well, the angel says to the women, come and see the place where his body was. So the angel didn't move the stone to let Jesus out. He, he moved the stone to let us come in to see that Jesus was not there so that we could have hope. Verse 8 says, The women hurried away from the tomb, afraid, yet filled with joy. And they ran to tell the other disciples. I love that phrase, afraid, yet filled with joy. Afraid? Well, of course. I mean, we still live in a world where there is pain and suffering. We don't know the storms that may come in our future. We don't know what the future may hold, but filled with hope. Because Jesus came so that his joy might be in us and that our joy may be complete. And I want to sum up this bridge illustration to you the best way that I can. And it's actually God who does it far better than I could, of course, who says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes, in him, will not perish on this side of the bridge, but cross over and have life, eternal life, now. Who do you say Jesus is? Is he the bridge in your life? Because Jesus himself says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. He is the bridge. And this is the decision right here in John 3. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Has eternal life. But whoever rejects the Son will not see life. For God's wrath remains on them. Is Jesus the bridge for you today? Last service, we had a guy come forward and said, I want to cross that bridge. And you couldn't find a shyer man but who stepped out of his aisle and came down and said, I need, to, I need Jesus today. and I'm ready to repent and confess, take action, be baptized and live that life. Can't think of a better day to do that than Resurrection Sunday when new life for you can begin on that side of the bridge. So we're going to stand right now. Would you stand with us? And we're going to sing this song of decision. And if you're ready to make a decision for him today, would you to come forward? And if you've already crossed the bridge today, Maybe you sing this song with a lot more boldness in your heart because of what Jesus has done for you in the new life you have. Let's sing this song. Alone in my sorrow and dead in my sin Lost without hope with no place to
God created, the kind of love that God demonstrated was a costly one because it involved both sacrifice and presence. And when we see the cross, that's definitely a symbol of that sacrifice, but it's that empty tomb that talks about presence for me and for us because that means Jesus is alive and with us here today. And just as Matt said, the disciples were never the same after all of this went down and we can't be either. And so because Jesus is all of these things, we've been challenging people to wrestle with that question over the last five weeks. And so because Jesus is our strength, because Jesus is our comfort, our refuge, because Jesus is life, because Jesus is our redeemer, you fill in that blank, because Jesus is love, and if this changes us, love does Love sacrifices, love engages, love is alive and well. And so over the next couple of weeks, we want to invite you to join us here at North Terrace as we challenge each other to be love, to go and be love into a world that desperately needs it. So we want to thank you for joining us for Easter service today um, and just wish you just a great time with your families. But before you leave, definitely give this a listen and watch what's about to take place here. And we hope we'll see you next Sunday.